Welcome to What's Up with Betsy Johnson, a podcast from a longtime Oregon legislator and keen political observer discussing what is right and wrong with government, politics, and public policy. Let's uh, talk about the Republicans a little bit. So another ballot measure, (laughs) equally poorly written or close to it, Um, didn't seem all that confusing to me. And quite honestly, I was just like, what? It's like, doesn't it clearly say that you can't run in the election after the year in which you served or something like that, whatever it was, it it was a little bit confusing. And the Supreme Court basically said, okay, this is really what the people wanted instead of going what the words on the page said, which to me was a little disturbing. Um, I think it's disturbing too. And what I would say is that the Democrats that engineered ballot measure 113 may come to rue the day that they did this and took the challenge all the way up through the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court has now opined on what the ballot measure means. Uh, and the Supreme Court is the highest court in in Oregon. Um, so there is a group that could be looking at taking a federal path through the courts that has to do with First Amendment free speech. And I haven't read those pleadings, so I don't know what they are. I just know conceptually the question is, um, would is the denial of a quorum uh, a um, an act of political speech? So I I don't I don't know. Um, But the 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 question here is, a walkout was a tool in the toolbox of the minority party. In my first session of the Oregon legislature, the Democrats walked out and they walked out over a question about redistricting, which means that every 10 years, the Oregon legislature redraws the district boundaries for representatives and senators. And at that time, the Democrats that were in the minority thought that the Republicans were exceptionally heavy handed and were not being fair and were writing a plan that would disadvantage Democrats forever and ever. Amen. And so the Democrats left the building. I learned several things from that exercise. One is that I would be a lousy felon on the run because in those days, the the um, governor had the power to turn the state police loose to go find um, Democrats and haul them back to the Capitol. And so I was holed up in a motel out by Portland International Airport under the name of a friend of mine. I mean, the whole thing was pretty cloak and dagger, but the point remains the same. The Democrats used this tool when they thought that they were being abused by the majority. And because we now have really only one political party in Oregon, the Democrats flexed their claws to say that these 10 Republicans couldn't run again. So they have taken the ability for the minority party to leave the building out of the toolbox of the minority party. And at some point in the future, the Democrats may be the minority party and discover that they have robbed themselves of a tool to try to leverage a more centrist approach or bipartisan approach to legislation. So that's in the future remains to be seen. But right now, those 10 can't run again. 
it begs the question that I've heard anecdotally that there were shenanigans about what constituted an excused or unexcused absence. A couple of the legislators had asked to be excused on a Sunday for religious reasons. They apparently, I don't know this for a fact, but they apparently were told, yes, they could. And then retroactively, it was deemed an unexcused absence. I don't know if that stuff happened or not, and it was not up to the Supreme Court to ferret out the, how equitable the um, the chair's rulings, and it was up to the Senate president to approve or disapprove the absences, how, how, uh, how well that process worked or didn't work. The question for the court was to interpret the language and eliminate the ambiguity that you just talked about. And so the decision is that those 10 legislators won't be able to run again. Um, so it remains to be seen. And then inside the Republican caucus, some decisions were made about leaving a couple of people that will be up and vulnerable in the future. They stayed on the floor, still denied the quorum, so the legislature couldn't function but they didn't have their absences counted against them. And so they will be able to run with impunity the next time around. It's a very complicated situation. And for somebody that might lend uh, lend their thinking to conspiracy theories, it raises some very interesting questions. But there may be a day in the future that the D's will regret that they called the question on this one. To me, it seems like if you don't show up for work, there should be some sort of penalty uh, in the main. However, the way Oregon's legislature works, the minority party doesn't have a lot of choice into what it can do to stop legislation it doesn't think is good from growing through. So back in 2019, they started these walkouts. They've continued since. And then voters passed this measure. And now it seems that 10 of them are going to be gone. So part of what that's going to do for the short session is that they could, those 10 could just leave uh, and say, see ya, we're not letting you do your work. Don't care. We're not up for reelection. Goodbye. Well, the math has to work because they need a certain number to make a quorum. And so the the 10, um, you'd have to, to, I don't know whether the Republican caucus will hang together and actually deny the quorum, but it has liberated those 10 that can't run again um, from any kind of um, uh, feeling of obligation to funders or frankly to constituents or to anybody else. They can vote any damn way they want because what are the voters going to do? Throw them out? Ah, the court's already done that. And so it has, I hope, created 10 fearless individuals who will go into this short session um, with principled positions on things like old fixing ballot measure 110 and absolutely liberate them to be as vociferous and as obstructionist and as annoying as they possibly could be because there are no consequences. And so they would need to get one more senator to walk out with them to make that work, right? Yep. Okay. So it's so somebody's going to have to be brave and say, I'm done. Um, did they know when they were walking out that this was going to be the outcome? I don't know when this ballot measure passed. So I'm just wondering if, you know, when they walked out most recently, were they aware that what could happen? Yes, I believe that they were. The timing is such that the ballot measure had passed and they made a conscious decision, uh, including uh, cutting a couple of their members uh, slack to stay so that they would not be subject to the to the uh, strictures of ballot measure 113. 
So what's your thinking on the concept of you, you do this walkout, there should be some sort of penalty. Do you agree with that or do you think they should be able to walk out if they want to? Well, I'm going to come down on the side of it's the only remaining tool in the minority's toolbox when the majority has acted in a tyrannical way. Um, I don't think that if there was real dialogue and real um, negotiation that the minority party would be forced to go to a radical move like walkout. Uh, I know that when I did it, along with the Democrats back in the early 2000s, that it was a very weighty decision and was not done casually. I think the thing that drove the ballot measure was the complaint by the Democrats that the Republicans were using it way too casually um, and way too frequently. Uh, I, I would separate, um, well, I was going to say that I would separate a ballot, uh, I mean, a uh, um, redistricting question from just ordinarily policy bills. But some of the policy bills that were put forward by the, the dominant Democrat Party were so deleterious to rural Oregon. Um, one was 2020, the cap and trade bill that resulted in a walkout. Um, uh, that would have been so damaging to rural Oregon that the very principled argument that those rural legislators put forward resonated with me that we will use every power given to us to fight bad policy that will cripple rural economies. And um, it, it, it's a hell of a negotiating tool. And I think the Democrats didn't like and, and their supporters because it was largely their supporters that pushed this ballot measure 113 uh, that they said, we'll take this tool off the table so the Republicans can't thwart our very progressive legislative agenda. Well, before 2019, surely there were bills just as controversial as, as 2020, the cap and trade bill was. Why was it then that they decided to do this walkout as opposed to in previous sessions where there might have been something equally controversial that they didn't like? I can't think of anything as equally controversial to 2020. I just, I, that was a, a, a train wreck. And there was no negotiation. I mean, I attempted to negotiate and was castigated um, uh, by the bill's proponents. Um, uh, it, it was very difficult to have anybody pay any attention or give anything more than lip service to negotiation. And um, I, I think that since 2019, this urban-rural split has gotten more pronounced, more heated, more... Um, overamped in terms of what urban Oregon is doing to rural Oregon. Case in point right now is that the Board of Forestry is in the process of debating and they've been at the debate for a long time, which leads me to believe that they know they've got a dog on their hands. They want to um, disallow cut off of the state forests that are largely in Tillamook and Clatsop County, my old Senate district. And they've been doing hearings all over the state. They've had very close and acrimonious uh, votes at the um, Commission for the Board of Forestry. Uh, they've gone on the road. But I think that because the appointees to the Board of Forestry were so ideologically doctrinaire that there has not been a lot of room for compromise, 
the agency is saying, oh, the nasty old feds are making us do this. And 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 then we're taking it several steps beyond what the feds are requiring for the Endangered Species Act. But the point of the story is I drove three hours the other night to offer two minutes of testimony to just basically said that in rural places, there's this pervasive sentiment that the decision has already been made and that despite the, the contentious and, um, and well-informed debate at the commission, that the uh, governor and the agency and the majority of the Kate Brown Commission have already made up their minds and they're going to jam this nearly 40% reduction in cut down the throats of Oregonians. And now what they're doing in a very sneaky way is having these hearings so they appear to be taking last minute testimony that may or may not change minds. But what they're really doing is uh, buying off local governments and special districts like school districts, public safety, fire departments, roads, um, any unit of, of local government. The plan is to just buy them off. Um, the problem that I've got as a 20-year veteran of the Budget Writing Committee, Ways and Means Committee, I don't think that there is a guarantee that adequate general fund resources exist to run the agency, fight fire, and manage what's left of the state forest. And more to the point, that room was full of hardworking Oregonians, and it appears that the very elitist Board of Forestry uh, isn't worried about the business losses, the bankruptcy, the employment anguish that these this ill-conceived plan visits on individual employees. Um, the remaining mills, they, a mill has already closed anticipating the paucity of supply, much less to the ecosystem of economics that surround logging activities, the diesel repair shops, the contractors, the truckers, to name a few. And so this startling contrast between what the very progressive urban Democrats want and what rural Oregon is fighting to preserve as part of their cultural character and heritage and, oh, by the way, their livelihoods, um, it is, is just so diametrically opposed that they can't find that middle ground. And there doesn't appear to be leadership that is willing to have the courage to stray from the company line and actually ne uh, negotiate in good faith. I mean, going back to ballot measure 110 for a minute, if you go through and look at how the drug industry, the, these are the, the pro-legalization crowd, um, they've given money to all of the Democrats that are on the committee. Kate Lieber, who's the chair, got 4,000 bucks. Jason Krupp, the, the co-chair on the House side, 2,000. They skipped the Republican Tim Canope. Floyd Prozansky, who's a diehard uh, drug laissez-faire proponent, got 4,500. Uh, Rob Nose, 4,500. And Andrea Valderrama from Portland, 8,000. And so um, the, the, the leading to this polarization is the fact that uh, many of the outside interest groups that are now at the table on one of the most controversial bills are funding the very people that are going to be making the decisions. Thanks for listening to What's Up with Betsy Johnson. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, please email questions, Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S, at BetsyJohnson.com.